1: The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. From the southernmost point of Dorn all the way up to the lands of always winter. The west to west, where apparently John and Sansa didn't really know where it was. And to the shadows in the east. This is Casterly Talk. I'm Cat for the 28th edition. Of this show that was born out of Daily Thrones, a show made powerful by you. The listeners. The people out there sharing the joy of Game of Thrones and the Song of Ice and Fire with me. A lot of little news tidbits today. Apologize again, it's just me. I say that, and not out of self-loathing, but I just love hearing the other people in the in the world of Castly Talk speak. That's Andres Cabrera, Rachel Cushing, Lawn Harris, Thomas Risling. I'm in the middle of a complicated move that's going on a lot longer than planned, and uh, my schedule is a little weird. So, uh, their life schedule is not weird; it's just life. So, you know, I gotta, I gotta talk to you by myself. Just why your phone calls, your messages here on Anchor, mean so much. We got two calls today, uh, inspiring some thought starters, and we're gonna take a look at some of these news items that popped up this week. Some silly news items that, if you wanna use them, to fuel your hate. Game of Thrones, Season 8, and Den and David, you you can do that. I offer a, a perspective on them that uh, it's mine, mine alone. But we're going to address that here in a bit on the other side of the break, maybe. But first, I'm going to get into what ifs. We've been doing these Game of Thrones what ifs. You guys have been calling in with some great ones, and we got a fun one here today. One that, like the caller says, uh, he hadn't really thought about before. I've never really thought about two, and I think about a lot of little what ifs. Yeah, the Ned Stark one. So what if he had left town? What if he'd never gone down to King's Landing? What if Rob Stark had uh, kept his vow, uh, his agreement with the Freys? All those kind of fun ones. There's a lot of them. We've got a big one here today. I want to dive right into it. Uh, If you guys are ready for that, this is our good friend Eric Monroe with this Game of Thrones What If... Hey, Ken Casterly talks. So a big what if I never actually thought about, and even back in the Daily Thrones days, I'm not sure if anyone ever brought up is, what if Jon Snow had stayed dead? What if he was never brought back by Melisandre and that was the end for him? I think that changes things in a very big way. Number one, I think it strengthens the Bolton's hold on the North. Without Jon, I think they hold the North. With Stannis gone and Jon dead, you know, as Ser Davos said, as long as the Bolton's hold the North, the North will suffer, but the the bigger thing might be: Would the Night King have won if John had been dead? Because a lot of what John might not have struck the killing blow, but a lot of what led to the Night King's downfall
0: was John, you know, telling Daenerys about the threat and convincing everyone to band together, and you know, the the Dragon Glass and all that was John. So, what would have been if John had stayed dead?
1: That is a great question, Eric. You know, the fun thing about these what ifs, let's put this on the table. With what ifs, you are saying, you know, what if, which means the butterfly effect uh, is in, in, in effect. One little ripple changes and things we know and love don't happen. But let's forget all that, we'll roll up our sleeves, and really dive into this one. Jon Snow dies, Does not come back. He has no greater purpose. He's not a Zoro High reborn, he's nothing. He is the bastard we all thought he was, or those in the in the story, and uh, he dies. He goes away. Alyssa Thorne takes over. All right, there's a lot of things. My first thing when when I heard this call from Eric is exactly kind of where he went. Well, the Boltons, the battle of the battle, of the bastards, all those kind of things. That changes dramatically. John Snow went around trying to gather an army to fight Ramsey Bolton, and he he found a small one, but he he led everyone. There, regardless. Sansa Stark is key to that victory, without a doubt. Not just because of the late uh, Hail Mary pass of the Knights of the Vale. I think her being uh, considered the true born Stark. I think that was key to a lot of uh, the things happening. And also... Keats, I think fueling Ramsey's anger and rage, which could be a bad thing if you're fighting Ramsey, but also I think he could make some mistakes. He was so cocky and confident uh, because I think fueled in a, lot of part, a large part of, of just really rubbing it in Sansa's face. There's an inspiration there. Um, but I think I think you're right. I think the Boltons hold the North. John himself. Couldn't raise that many banners. Couldn't raise that many swords. He, he took what he he could, and it's a miraculous finish, again, in large part because of Sansa Stark. Sansa would be in opposition. I think there would come a time where they would fight. I Another what if is, you know, what if Stannis doesn't do half the things he does and they team with him? That's a different timeline, right? So then with the Boltons in the north, and let's just say Ramsey's by himself. Sansa is not back in the fold. She's not captured. She's not forced back to, to Ramsey's side. Would shiver. That would that would be horrible. Um, they hold the north. The survivors, I don't know where they go. They can't go to Castle Black. Alistair Thorne's in charge. Uh, no, no friend or relative of Jon Snow is going to be welcome here. And then Cersei has the throne that all takes place i think as planned season six i think john snow affects too much of cersei's journey in season six blows up a set takes a throne now cersei's got to deal with the boltons but not necessarily in a, in a military sense there's an uneasy partnership there i don't think ramsey would want to come down and take the throne maybe though he's uh free and easy he's single does he make the play for Cersei, much like our good friend uh, uh, Mr. Greyjoy would uh, go down? Does You know, Euron uh, slides his way into Cersei's bed, but does Ramsey try that too? I think he would. It would make sense. Just merge this entire kingdom. Cersei knows the North is unruly, it's wielding, it's... Uh, it's it's not easily pulled into the fold. It's not easy. Once Sansa gets control, we see that. So I am intrigued by this idea. It's a it's a negative idea. It's a bad thought, but I think the Seven Kingdoms outside of Dorne again would be in the fold, whether or not through marriage or not. I think Cersei and Ramsay could somehow work together. I wouldn't trust Ramsay if I was Cersei, but I again I he's power power creates a thirst for more power. But I think just Ramsey wanted to get his name, wanted to prove himself to his father, then kill his father, take Winterfell, and hold the North. Does he have the interest going down? I don't think it's on the surface and I don't think he wants to fight Cersei in King's Landing. They'd be together. So then what happens is Danny hits the shores. Danny hits the shores and she's got the North to deal with and the South. Now, does Euron Greyjoy uh, slip on in? Does his uh, does his uh, fleet come into play? It does, it does. But is he? Let's just say Cersei's not married Ramsey. She's not pulled in the North that way. Does he still try to to get her hand? I think so. I think so. I still think though Euron Greyjoy sides with the South. A lot because of the impending arrival of the Dragon Queen, but also, and then as you know, uh, 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 Euron, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, Theon and and, uh, and and his sister go down to uh, Dandy. I think that fuels a lot of Euron, his anger. But I think if. if Euron's not afraid of the North at any kind of uprising. He, he 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 can't play upon that. If 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 Ramsay's not a threat to the crown, like Jon and Sansa were, victors of the Battle of the Bastards, then uh, I think Euron doesn't have as much to offer Cersei. But she does need the seas. So I think some way. I gotta imagine they're all in league. A bad league it is. So... With with Theon and, and Yara and uh, everyone, uh, Gr- uh, Grey Worm and, and the Unsullied and everyone in, in, in the All Star team, we got the we got Dorne, we got High Garden. They're in open rebellion, so, so it's not quite the, you know all the Seven Kingdoms, but you get what I mean. They're they're landing on these shores, and I don't think they have the time. Danny waited a little bit. She was told to wait. She wanted to burn everything down. She was told. Don't do that. This we know. But I think she lands, and I think she is not just immediately outnumbered, even more than they already were, but there is not the looking at the North as an area we don't have to worry about right now. We don't have to worry about in terms of violence. We can go make peace with the North. Um, She calls John down, obviously, and even though it's tense, and even though it's not pretty, um, I don't think they... 100% 100% would be convinced that Jon Snow was going to come down and attack them, right? But with Ramsey, they got to know, he's going to come down and attack us. Cersei has us completely outgunned. I think there's a little less of the calm confidence that Team Danny might have had. And they might have said, you know what, we should do some burning. So then I think it's an all-out war early on, which I actually think could work to Danny's advantage. She'd get her way a little bit. Some of the tactics and moves and decisions she wanted to make early on in season seven would absolutely happen. She'd burn some stuff down. Let them burn. But then there's the other factor here. Let's go north. The big fight that everyone was worried about, at least Jon Snow was worried about, actually, we should say, was, of course, the Night King, the impending doom of the army of the dead. It took everything to defeat him. Took everything, right? But it also took help from the wildlings, free folk, if you will. And if Alistair Thorne kills Jon Snow and Jon Snow never comes back, he never has... Never will get the help of the wildlings. Excuse me, the free folk. He'll never be carrying that flag of we must defend ourselves from the Night King. He never goes down and convinces Danny to come north. He never finds the dragonglass. No one pays attention to it. Everyone's fighting over the crown. So then the other what-if is, all right, so now the Night King's coming down, but he's hitting a wall, literally, the wall. Maybe he takes over a lot of the free folk, kills them, turns them on his side. He's got an impressive army. But if he can't go around Eastwatch by the Sea, if they can't go through the wall or up and over the wall, and they have no Ice Dragon because Danny's been fighting a war in the south, is he a threat? This is why I love these what-ifs. It takes away everything and it rebuilds the story. This is a completely different world, but I love playing it out. So now the Night King's just butting his head up against the wall while everyone else fights for the throne and the lands down south. Now, at some point, though, we know the Night King is real. Alistair Thorne knows there's something going on out there. He ain't that dumb and that clueless. He's just more focused on traditions and rules. And, oh, yeah, killing Jon Snow. And, you know, I love Alistair Thorne. But, all right, I don't support him in this one. At some point, they're looking down off the wall going, oh, yeah, Ozarks, we got a problem. Do they communicate this to anyone? Does Ramsay listen to the tattered remains of the Night's Watch? I don't think so. But Ramsey does like a good fight. Ramsey Bolton strikes me as the kind of guy that if told by someone in black, hey, I'm from the wall, I know there's 25 of us left and you don't care. Um, but uh, I can confirm that there is an undead army at the gates and they want to come down and they want to kill everybody. I don't think Ramsay would go. Oh no, we must stop them. I think Ramsay would say, "Oh, I think I want to stop them. That sounds like a fight. Sounds like a good Friday evening." And then maybe the fight goes that way. Now, does Cersei join in that fight? No. Cersei does the same thing, just with a little less, uh, little less, uh, you know, vindictive nature. All right, Ramsay, you're on our team. You want to keep the North? Go handle this for me. Maybe then I'll marry you. You're on, you're down here. We got the dragon queen. Keep her at bay over here. Maybe one or two dragons are killed just the same. We parlay with her, we don't parlay. I think Cersei's feeling in control. And she goes and sends Ramsey Bolton up there. Ramsey's going to lose that battle. He's going to have to go to Castle Black. Tough to defend from the south, but they just have to worry about the wall. Do they go out and meet them? Ramsey smart. Jon Snow's the one that's gonna be like, yeah, let's grab our horses. Let's go. Ramsey waits. I think if they wait it out, they wait it out. But maybe I know there's magic in then them their walls, but maybe the Night King uh builds a mound of uh of zombies <laughs> and climbs over it. Doesn't have a dragon. I think the dragon was key to a lot of his movements out. This we know. Breaks through the wall with that for a reason. But I think, it, I think at some point they fight. I think at some point Ramsay is drawn out, and then I think they lose that fight. I really do think they lose that fight. What happens of the tattered remains of the Starks? Arya comes back over, but does she ever meet up with the Hound who tempers some of her anger and changes the course of her direction, and she becomes key, killing the Night King? Is Bran alive? What happens to Bran? Does he give us intel? Is he going to give Ramsey Bolton or Cersei Lannister any kind of intel? I don't think he is. Uh, I think Ramsey loses. I think the Night's Watch loses. The Wildlings, the free folk, are gone, turned into an army of the undead. And I think they do come south, and I think we're in the same spot. Then, maybe then, Danny, with or without Dragonglass, you hope they'd find it. Samuel Tarly's still around. Someone's got to believe him. Maybe Jorah comes back. Hey, uh, this kid knows something. Cured me of an incurable disease. Says his dragon glass here. Maybe da- Danny takes uh, some healthy dragons. Again, she's been fighting on and Cersei, so maybe she's got only one. But it's not a dragon on dragon fight. No ice dragons coming her way. And maybe they meet. Maybe they meet at the Mo oh, the twins, all the way up Winterfell. White Harbor? I don't know. I still think there'd be a struggle and Danny alone could not kill the Army of the Undead. Does Arya emerge? Does Bran find safety? Does Bran know? Bran knows this stuff. Does he seek out if 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 the Starks lose the battle of the bastards? Does Bran find his way down somehow, some way? To Danny. Hi, how you doing? I'm Bran. I know everything. How do you know? I remember you used to dream of a house with a red door as a kid. Remember you this? Remember that? Remember all the things you did? I know who you are. I was watching. What? Yeah, I was. we got to go deal with that problem. I think it does come down to Danny. I think things go a little better for Danny. I think she gets her way. I still say Danny is not a villain. Danny did not go bad. Danny, like many other characters in the show, is just a wonderful collection of beautiful, tantalizing shades of gray. I think things kept getting in her way. She made some decisions that I think a lot of people would make if they were in her boots. Some of it is hardwiring into her brain from her relatives, her family line. Some of its circumstance, some of its righteous injustice, a feeling of we have got to meet injustice with my brand of justice. And in the end, she did kind of snap, and she made some wrong decisions and paid the price for it. We're not talking about that right that now, right now. But I think a lot of that because because of Jon Snow, their ill fated love. If Jon Snow is dead, I think this goes a different direction. I think Danny emerges for the better. I think she might save the day. I think Ramsey is defeated by the Night King, and then Ice Ramsey's defeated by Danny. It's a big drag out battle. Then I think they go south. Cersei's gonna hold on to the end. But the people in Danny's ears are they saying the same thing? Are they stopping Danny from putting her pedal, her foot down on the pedal? Pedal to the floor. Burn it all down. I know they don't want that. King's Landing's a different game than burning Ramsey out of house and home, but there's innocence up there in Winterfell. I think the advice is all different. The play is all different. Jon Snow dies. Danny might just have won the day. That's my take on it. I'm not reading from notes. I'm just rolling this out of my silly little brain. What's your take on it? What is your answer to the GOT what if what if Jon Snow never came back from the dead? On the other side of this break, we're going to be taking another call talking about some of these little silly GOT news bites. It's Casterly Talk. I'm Ken Damsak. We'll back of really Talk. I think I cut myself off there at the end, uh, the other side of the break. Which is weird because I'm the one controlling the board here. I just love my Rodecaster Pro mixer so much. I love pressing all the buttons. I think sometimes I get jumpy and I... I... I, I, I uh, love having a mute button. But I'm not muted now. I'm here with you. we we'll get some more what-ifs next week. You have a what-if. Want to respond to this "What if"? Let's have that discussion. Just reach out through the Anchor app. If you download it, put it on your phone. You can listen to your uh, the podcast anywhere you want. Anchor uh, has uh, Castly Talk available in several spots. I think it's like twelve spots. Just search for it. But if you want to pop on the Anchor app or just go through the desktop uh, Anchor.fm, uh, search for Castly Talk. You can uh, call in. Fifty nine seconds. Leave a response. Leave two want to hear your thoughts, your opinions, your stories. That's what makes this all interesting. We got a call here right now from our friend Scribbler.
0: Hey, Ken. This is Jeff Saunders, the Scribbler. And I have another what-if question for you. Um, I know a lot of people were or seemed dissatisfied with the way the show ended. And uh, I got to thinking, you know, really the only thing I was dissatisfied about was that there wasn't more. And what I mean by that is I feel like we were very spoiled uh, through the first six seasons because of the pacing. And um, once we got to the end, everything seemed to happen very quickly. Uh, and I was wondering if uh, the show had been told in, as a series of movies instead of in long, long form storytelling on television uh, if the ending would have maybe not felt quite as rushed. Um, curious to hear what your thoughts are of it. Uh, thank you. Keep up the good work.
1: Thank you, Scribbler. I like how that he says this is Jeff Saunders, The Scribbler. That's like a good villain in a, in a new MCU film. From the multiverse comes The Scribbler. Uh, Jeff's doing good work. Follow him uh, around. Uh, I gotta get his Twitter handle up. I gotta get. I gotta get his Twitter handle up because uh, Jeff is. Uh, you can follow him at Jeff Saunders seventy four Saunders S A U N D E R S. He. Um, Great guy, a uh, Patreon supporter of mine. We've met at several uh, events uh, in Houston. He was there for comedy show. And just a great dude who does a lot of work with charity for children's cancer research. He's got some stuff going on right now, and I want you to give uh, Scribbler a follow, or at least a look-see to see if you can help out with some of the charity work he does. You can always go to kennapsock.com. We have a charity spotlight page, and some of the work that uh, Jeff does is on there. So... He's got this call here, though, uh, about the end of season eight, right? Let's dive back into these waters. This is a, It's dangerous territory, but I'm okay diving in. I'm okay having this conversation. I, without a doubt, agree with the idea that we didn't get as much of, of Game of Thrones in the last couple seasons. It's sped up. And now, because uh, it's in vogue to burn Dan and David at the stake, every decision that they make or that you hear that they made, anything that comes out, it's easy to be used against them, right? You can tear them down with it. Well, HBO wanted to give them 10 episodes. They only chose six in the final season. They only chose seven. We don't know the full context of that. We don't know. I still believe you look at the the behind-the-scenes footage uh, that was uh, available uh, in the documentary at the end, by HBO at the end of the show. I mean, they barely survived making season eight, just their whole crew. Six episodes, these battles, these night shoots. I think the idea of doing full season seven and eight, I think, uh, it's just tough. I, I finally listened to that full podcast interview with Miguel Sapochnik, the director of, of course, Hard Home, Battle of the Bastards, and uh, the the big the big events here in season eight. He took season seven, seven off and it's fascinating because he's got some things that from a distance sounds pretty snarky to Dan and David and they didn't get along necessarily early on. He didn't have their trust, but he grew into it and he's a very outspoken, candid guy, but it seems very reserved. He's not wild and crazy. Very reserved and intelligent filmmaker. And he took season seven off. He was like, no, thank you. Because he just, it took too much out of his life in season six, in season five, and he comes back in eight. And I, I think that can translate to everyone. So there's some practical reasons when you hear David and Dan didn't want to do 10 episodes. That has to factor in. Whether or not that is the right answer or not, I don't know. I just want everyone to always keep that in mind. But Jeff's not wrong. Jeff is with a lot of people. It did feel rushed, right? I, I, I'll agree with that. I will celebrate the, this show to the bitter end. I love season eight. But yeah, and we talked about it as we broke down. Lawn Harris was was really insightful on this. Yes, we 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 had a lot of moments early on that were slow burned conversations, some of the best stuff, and always will be some of the best stuff in the show. But that had to be set aside so we can have this spectacular battles that we got. I will defend the long night to the ends of the earth, but even uh, episode five, Danny burning down the world. thats spectacular stuff. And if you're okay with that trade-off, I think is where you come down on the final season. Going into season seven, they warned everybody. Things move fast. And it became a joke. You know, how small is the map? How fast did Gendry run? I... I think they had to do it that way. And I think once you heard, I'll tell you from personal, this is me. When I heard next season, season seven of Game of Thrones, only seven episodes, I was disappointed. Head kind of sunk a little, oh man, only seven? Come on. Give us more, give us more, give us more. Because we want more. We want more because we love it. And so when you feel as though, you're getting less and you are getting less, but when you feel as though you're getting less, it feels worse. So if something does happen kind of fast, whether or not they set it up and they wrote it rightly, all those kind of smart uh, writerly critic things you could say, a lot of friends of mine talking off air to me, you know, well, they didn't do this. Yeah, I know. And you're a writer and I'm a writer and I get it. But I think, I think it's perception becomes a reality. If you're watching something in season seven, and you go, oh, well, they got there fast. Well, of course they did. There's only seven episodes. Duh, man. We're missing out on so much. What are you missing out on? We don't know. I used to joke in season seven, especially when I was doing the Collider show at the time. Uh, w- you know, do you want an episode of Davos and John on a ship for three weeks? Now, we want one conversation? Yeah, absolutely actually like a lot of that episode, what we call Snow Team 6, of the All-Stars going north to capture a white. Not my favorite plot point, by the way, but there's some spectacular stuff in it. Some spectacular stuff at the end of the episode. Jon Snow fighting. I mean, it's some great stuff. Benjamin returning. But uh, one of my favorite parts of Season 7 is all of them, them being the All-Stars, Gendry, the Hound, Barrick, Thor Samir, uh, the criminally underrated Paul K and, uh, you know, Jon Snow Jorah, they all have a moment, and that's where we do get that old feel. But yeah, I do miss that stuff. I talk often about Robert Baratheon. It's a spectacular character. Some of my favorite scenes in the show, now that all eight seasons are done, are Robert Baratheon sitting around talking. I don't need big battles all the time. But I think after eight seasons, you know, I just think they had to do it this way. I'm off topic, and I know, I hate it. It's, it's ripping a band-aid, isn't it? Because I know some of you out there listening, you disagree, and I love you, come in for the hug. We're going to hug, we're going to embrace, it's going to be fine. You did miss, it was fast. The last two seasons were fast. So I, I heard people who love the, they so happy, uh, Danny, glad she burned everything down, glad Danny went quote-unquote bad, I just wish I would have seen an episode where she was uh, in control in that way, or making that, yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. I don't disagree with that at all. I just think sometimes the way I watch it, I just, you got to assume a little bit. We don't need to see everything on screen. This is a living, breathing story. You can imagine some of the things that were happening. That's just me, though. To Scribblers' other point of, what if this instead of done a long-form narrative, what if they had done a series of movies, which at one point in time was probably considered. George R. R. Martin says, you know, everyone came after these books, especially after Lord of the Rings, let hey, it's make them into movies. And he just felt, number one, he didn't want this show to ever be really uh, uh, adapted, but also movies, you didn't have time to tell, tell the story. And it's, it, nowadays we all want we all want uh, these long, sprawling narratives. A lot of people looking forward to The Mandalorian, Star Wars' uh, first live-action TV show on Disney+. They're looking forward to it. Because ah, I can take my time, and I agree that I love the movie Solo. But if it had been a Netflix series, a six-part series, I think it would have gone over a lot, a lot better. Game of Thrones, Lost, Sopranos, Dream on, Hell, Dream on, um, No, um, Wire, Deadwood, a lot of shows uh, before Game of Thrones brought in this idea of you could have a cinematic feel to uh, everything on a TV show. There was an era, I'm part of uh, growing up in that era, where you just didn't think that. You had a CBS movie of the week, Heidi, cutting into the dolphin game, right? Um, you can't imagine this being on the TV. But it's interesting to think, if Game of Thrones had been uh, an HBO movie series, four movies, could you scrunch all of it? And you want to talk about things moving fast, people would be upset. But to Scribbler's point, if you had gotten to the end faster, and we didn't uh, invest eight seasons, nine years into this, not even taking into effect the book readers, but they still have that. We still book readers. We still have that forthcoming, right? If you were to take all that and you get to it faster, are you as disappointed with the end? Do you feel as rushed? And I think we talked about it recently. We had we had someone call in. Saying, hey, I you know someone who binge watch hadn't touched the show till uh, season eight ends. Binge watched it in a month or two weeks or whatever it was. And they loved the ending and couldn't see the problems. Yeah, I think absolutely. Talk about expectations building up, but also again, if you go into season seven, I think it starts with season seven where we were. That was where we we're like, wow, we're only getting seven episodes. And No, the next year we're only getting six. Wow, we're mi- we're missing out. I think you start feeling as though you're missing out all around, where there's definitely some sections and some storylines that you are missing out, point blank. I'm not, I'm not going to push against that. Totally agree with it. There's times I'm like, oh, okay, we got that solution. Jorah, I'm a Jorah guy. You all know. I thought Jorah's, Jorah goes all around the world, has a great emotional send-off with Danny, season six, and then you know he's back, and then he's better. I'm glad he's better I can imagine all the other stuff I don't need I didn't need to see Jora going around the world um you know sitting there uh um you know uh, can you cure me no can you cure me no I didn't need to see that I can imagine that but yeah I, the solution comes pretty fast I understand that i pushing back, but I don't think, I think it would have been worse. We just, maybe we wouldn't have been as invested. I don't know, but then Lord of the Rings comes along, and I'm invested in those movies, but you know what I like more? I like the five-hour versions. I want more. We'll never know that answer, though. We only have what we have. We have season eight, which we know, a little controversy. A little bit, a little controversy, and it's still going. Controversy still going. A script leak. It's not really a leak. The scripts are available. It's an Emmy-nominated script. You can grab a hold of it. No one leaked it out there. But it fired everybody up. There's a couple things getting, getting people fired up this week. Uh, there's one that's there's the, the, the thing going to map. It's, it, and these are come from stage directions, screens play directions. Where there's a, a Dan and Dave uh, had this little line. The office this is an offhand aside. Uh, John and Sansa both failed geography. This is uh, when Arya is talking about going west to west, all this kind of stuff. People are upset about that. And then there's this—the uh, explanation for Drogon melting the Iron Throne. We look over John's shoulders, the fire sweeps toward the throne. Not the target of Drogon's wrath, just a dumb bystander caught up in the conflagration. We look through the blades of the throne as the flames engulf it and blast the wall behind it. So here's what it is, right? This is, everyone's upset. The John and Sansa one, look. I've written a lot of uh, scripts, studied screenwriting. I started going to college for that. I I read a ton of William Goldman books and and, and screenplays. The best way to learn screenwriting, by the way, is to read scripts of all eras. The styles change. One thing that has changed over the years, and I used to love the way Goldman did it, but it is is stage directions, screen directions. These are things the audience are, are never really meant to see. We see the action, we see the dialogue, and uh, the tone, and, and, and the s- screen directions, the stage directions set that. But again, they don't serve, no, serve a purpose. I am, if you've ever read a script that I've written, or even a sketch, anything, something, something like that, I am very, very simple now, and that's changed. When I first started screenwriting, and okay, here, here's a, here's an example. This is from the script. Uh, they write, he, being Drogon, he looks down at Jon. We see the fire build up in his throat. A line, a beat, a uh, 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 space, I should say. Jon sees it as well. He prepares to die, all right? That's, that's how that starts. When I started writing scripts in about 93, uh, 94, this is what I would have written. The dragon looks down at Jon, anger in his eyes. We see the fire build up in the throat of Drogon. Vengeance is burning. John sees it as well, and he prepares himself to die by scrunching up and winching for pain that is about to come. That's how I would have done it. It's not how you're supposed to. And I would have been encouraged. I was encouraged a little bit more back then during those days by by a great screenwriting teacher, but, but that's kind of how I would have approached it. This is almost too long now. He looks down at John. I would have put, he looks down at John, comma, fire building up in his throat, or fire builds up in his throat. John sees it and prepares to die, or John sees it, period, prepares to die. Minimalist stuff. And then you can get a little sassy, man. You can put a little feeling into these. Uh, Cody Hall and the Wangers, uh, if you watch and listen to their stuff, I, I suggest you do. Go to Amateur Hour Films online, go to the Wanger Show. Cody Hall is a great sketch, sketch writer. Uh, Christian Ruvik Hobbs is a great scr- sketch writer and script writer. And, and they have a lot of it, too. Little jokes, little sides. This might be the answer to them. That Drogon was like, burn it all down. I'm not killing John. I kind of like you. Bah, throwing fire against the wall. And the throne happens to be there. That might not be what we even said here on Casterly Talk. But this happens a lot. I just wrote a Star Wars book. Over 110,000 words about Star Wars. About six of them were apparently cut out of the book. Different different discussion about copy editing. Um, I love getting deep into Star Wars. But you're analyzing someone else's work. And in this case, you're analyzing the work of two guys and their whole team that's adapted from someone else's work. You're going to take things from it. You're going to watch it and see it. I love debating the chosen one in Star Wars. I love that Obi-Wan Kenobi has changed his opinion on who the chosen one might be and that he kind of comes down to this idea that it's Luke, even though at one point he clearly believed it's Anakin, but now maybe it's both. There's a new hope in Luke. I love that. Star Wars Rebels, the animated show, season three, the Maul and Obi-Wan Kenobi fight and the final look at Luke and what he says to Maul, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? I could, I, and I did. I wrote about it in the book. But you, you have to realize George Lucas is saying, well, no, Anakin's the chosen one. And you should watch Star Wars episodes one, two, and three, four, five, six, as its a complete story of Anakin Skywalker, the chosen one. He's a creator. That's his right. That's the answer. Doesn't mean you still can't talk about it. I love crawling into these worlds. Dan and David did write this. I see it. It's not my favorite thing. I love the idea of what I saw of Drogon going, my mom's dead, you did it, but really the throne killed her. I'm going to burn it down, I'm out of here. I saw that, you saw it, a lot of people saw that. Clearly that was their effect. The end result is the same. I like our interpretation. It's kind of something we came to uh, an agreement as a team here at Castle Talk. I don't necessarily agree with this take on it, but the end result is the same. And and in a weird way, it's even more of a statement on the throne. In the weird way, this one says the throne, the pursuit of the throne is so empty that it was destroyed by a creature that didn't really know it was destroying it. It didn't care. That's how little it mattered. And the pursuit of it destroyed lives. Danny's Stannis's, my beloved Stannis, everyone else who chased after this thing who's now dead on the show or try to defend it or try to win it or try to take it or try to maneuver around it. So I think the result is the same. Don't get too worked up about this. Them making a little joke at John and Sansa's uh, expense, that's just what a lot of people do in directions. I've done it. I have conversations. The directions, the screen directions... I, I, I view it as a conversation between me, the writer, and those reading it. We're either going to be in it or make it or studying it later. It is a one-on-one conversation. I'm telling you the story. It's not beautiful prose. It's not grammatically correct often. It, it is just quick, punchy. You don't want to take the time. The dialogue and the action that comes from this, that's what's important. That's the end result. If that's their interpretation of it, I respect it as artists. I like the idea that Drogon had a little bit more say in what he was destroying. But here's the nice thing. It doesn't change the ending, does it now? It's all the same. It's all the same. What do you think? Are you worried about that? Does it change your enjoyment? Does it take away your enjoyment? Does it make you hate it more? Maybe it does, and that's fair. That's fair. I also like, though I'm slightly frustrated, that these guys... These poor guys are going to face this for a long, long time. The internet is a wonderful place that does powerful things, changes lives and changes worlds. It's also pretty damn silly and frustrating. And Dan and David, they knew it. They knew it. We're not, what are we going to do on the final episode of Game of Thrones? We're going to be far from the internet. Did they show up to Comic Con Hall H? Nope. We're good. You can boo Jamie Lannister. Who has the audacity to like, defend the show he put his life into. I'm on their side. I always have. Season eight's one of my favorite seasons because I got a lot of conclusions that were satisfying to me, but that's just me. But here's the thing. These characters exist. These stories exist. These maps, these books, everything. Your interpretation of it is your interpretation of it. And I hope you get some enjoyment out of that. That's Casterly Talk for this week. Use the hashtag Casterly Talk online to join the conversation. After you follow me at Ken Nabsuck. don't forget to follow the other uh, people on the show. What was, what was that? <laughs> the other people on the show: Rachel Cushing, Lon Harris, Andres Cabrera, Thomas Risling. Seek them out as well. Links are in the description for this podcast on Anchor. Don't forget to call in. What are your what ifs? What are your reactions? Let's have that conversation. It's what makes this show so fun to do. Thank you for your support. We'll see you all. It's Casterly Talk.